Hello, everyone. I'm Alicia Swamy. I'm here with my co-hosts, Keely Severson and Eric Johnson. We are Exposing Mold. Today, we have Gianni Rossini. He's the founder of Environ Biomics. And they are a leading commercial environmental lab in the USA that specializes in analyzing samples to determine the presence of mold, bacteria, and other microorganisms, including the ERMI, the HertzMe2, Atino, mycotoxins, and endotoxins, etc. Envirobiomics collaborates with environmental and medical experts who make crucial decisions about the indoor environment that have an impact on the health of our communities. They employ research and innovation to produce reliable data that people can rely on and develop over time with resources, with resource saving solutions. Sorry about that. Welcome Gianni. Thank you so much for joining us for a second time. It's a pleasure to finally see you. Last time we were only able to hear you. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, um, you know, we work in the mold, with the mold community and we know the ERMI test is extremely, extremely popular. Um, could you maybe explain more about just the company that you founded and just sort of the history and we'll see where we go from there. Okay, great. Uh, well, I got involved in this area uh, about uh, 10 years ago uh, when I was with a large uh, engineering environmental company here in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, we did uh, studies. Uh, I was there uh, as a senior research scientist with a group of people there doing the studies, and uh, we got involved in ERMI. Uh, my my contribution was ERMI and the toxin and allergen mycotoxin for studies that related to the children's health. And uh, after that, uh, I uh, kind of jumped into uh, consulting. I got the study got cut short. It was very expensive. It was a billion dollar study for the U.S. government, and uh, after a number of years, it got cut short. And so I decided to do something else. Uh, at that point, I knew some people in the EPA, like uh, Vesper, which uh, Steve Vesper was uh, Richard Hagland and Tina Reponin. There are three people that. They published the original work on ERMI, and they were like my mentors during the time I was uh, involved on, on the government project. So uh, with the help of uh, Steve Vesper, I uh, decided to, uh, well, they, they say, hey, why don't you go to set up this ERMI testing in, in other countries like Australia and Hong Kong and other places? And uh, first I went to Australia and uh, got involved with the with David Lark. David Lark is an environmental uh, professional that I do. He ran a lab over there in Australia. And uh, so he wanted to see the army over there. Uh, And uh, I guess we were one of the first ones to run army in Australia and uh, validate that and publish that with the the Steve Vesper. Um, so after that, I just say, Hey, why don't we go back to San Antonio? We open a lab so we can do this here in San Antonio. And more important, let's develop this other thing that's called a Latinomycetes, a Latinobacteria testing. So that's pretty much a, a short story of uh, 10 years involvement with this ERMI and related stuff. 
Wonderful. So for those who are listening, ERMI essentially just means Environmental Relative Moldiness Index, and it's a research tool that you guys have developed to estimate mold contamination in homes. And it's something that a lot of people go to to just get some information. I mean, I've used ERMI probably four or five times. Um, <laughs> you know, I know so many other people that have used it a lot. So it is definitely a beneficial tool. And just with the progression of your company, are you seeing more and more people just ordering this, this test and, and getting information? Like, is there, has there been a major growth spurt in what you're seeing kind of in the industry? Well, I, I, I don't know what's the best answer to that. Uh, we have a, a part, a piece of the market. There's all the companies doing this and, uh, we try to do it the best, uh, Ermi in town or anywhere. Um, the Ermi itself is, is, is a basically is a PCR. PCR is like you do a COVID-19 testing, but instead of doing one target, we do 36 targets. And then from there, we calculate a Ermi score. The number of tests we run is, is growing uh, year to year. And, uh, I'm sure people find it useful, and that's why they're more people interested in running ERMI versus other options, which are number of options to do mold assessment, which some are more expensive than others. And, but also there is a cost-benefit relation between, you know, ERMI give you 36 species uh, at the species level, a very quantitative method. And obviously there is other method that, the microscopy, the traditional method that you use all the time, they're very valid. That can be like an air trap, and uh, they're used all the time. I think they're used in, in conjunction. I mean, they're together. They're, they don't have to fight to each other for the same, you know. So, yeah, there is a growing interest in running army because at the end of the day, you need to have very, it's a very valid, very precise measurement of what's in the, your environment. Obviously, this is is not the same like air sample. Air samples you can also run ERMI in air samples, but there are different uses. People use it in a different ways. There's a number of uh, uh, you know professional people that collect samples. They like to use it in different ways. Awesome. Yeah, it seems like it's just a, a, a more expanded mode of data collection to do the ERMI and then do like an air sample testing. And so you guys are just doing the, the surface level sampling right. and then sending it through the PCR. In terms right. of your species list, um, has that grown since you started? Like, what was the determination between you and your team of, okay, these are the molds that are harmful. These are the molds that are common. Like, can you talk a little bit more about the species well, you guys chosen to PCR? Well, uh, the, the original list was selected by the EPA. The, the paper, you know, published by Steve Vesper and others. Um, the, the 36 selected species, basically what they did is, is, is they screened water damage homes and they found that elevated species, you know, are and then they found all pieces that don't change with water damage. So they selected 30, no, 26 that elevated with water damage. And they, like a reference, they use 10 species that don't change with water damage. So the ERMI 
you have uh, two groups. Group one is 26 species that are water damage related. But to get to that number, they screen, I don't know, 100 species. And they, you know, the DPCR on, I don't know, icing paper with more than 100 mole species. And a lot of them don't change. Some of the, the ones that change, significant change with water damage, they're selected. That's why they're, they're in, being used in the army, group one. Group two is like, it's a normalizer. It's a control. It's a way to uh, make sure that the, the test is running well and it gives you some information. Uh, and from there, you calculate a score. Obviously, the score sometimes can be uh, misleading, but in general, the score correlates very well with what's going on in the environment. Uh, when it's misleading is because, you know, the sample was taken in, in a way that is not recommended. For example, you take a targeted sample, you go to the source, and obviously you're going to find a lot of whatever you're looking at. It's not very useful. Uh, you're, you're already looking at the mole in the wall growing. So, but if you follow the instruction, you take from different rooms, one regular home, let's say it's regular home size, you take one army, it gives you a good indication if the environment was through water damage or, or is at the moment water damage because it's uh, data that you're collecting. It's, it's, it's not just a picture of the, of the moment. It's, it's a historical picture. It's actually take dust, whatever dust you have from day one from the house, whatever is there. So what it means is not, it's like uh, if you take an air sample, whatever is in the air, you know, you, you are measuring the air, but what's in the floor, you're collecting day after day after day dust. And so the army is measuring what's in the floor, in the actually dust that's being deposit into the furnitures and to into the surface. And that can be this year, depending how many times people clean. Yeah, I always wondered because the ERMI, it's not like a, a set, like you don't have one ERMI for each room. Like you kind of, you get an ERMI. I mean, you could right. if you wanted to, but you take yeah. an ERMI and it's kind of sampling all these different areas. So it's really hard to find source points with an army it's more so like you said to show like a snapshot of what's going on in the home correct yeah that's correct and, and that's because of the price you, you know it's 240 dollars yeah. each and you're not gonna do 10 in the whole house you spend two thousand dollars and if you do a army for a whole house yes just don't go into the basement don't go into weird place like a crowd a crawl space just stay in the regular areas where you normally use, then you get a good idea that what your exposure is on the term of mold. Um, yeah, the yeah, pretty much that's that's a way how you use it. If you have a building you want to go to basement, yeah, of course you have a different sample. Don't don't collect samples from the house and the basement together. Or if you have a source like you're looking at, don't go to the crawl space. You know, uh, crawl space tend to be very dirty, you know, and you don't really normally go into the crawl space. Don't take a sample from there. So you normally take a sample from wherever you occupy during normal, you know, activities of the building. Uh, it give you, uh, some people uh, collect two or three samples, remediation people, 
professional that they want to know a source. So they kind of get an idea that first level, second level, or basement. And so they know where they're coming from. They're coming from the basement most of the time where the water damage is, or, or maybe coming from another place. But they, they want to get this three sample kind of thing. Um, but there's nothing wrong with doing one sample. You know, if you want to save money and you want to just get an idea of your, your area. And if it's normal, then you don't need to go and find more because it's your living quarters, your areas it's are normal. Now, okay. now if you do an air trap, air trap, you can, you can do an air trap, but uh, of course you, you're going to save money, but there's also more to it. And, you know, it's going to be most, most of the time, 50% of the time is going to be negative. Uh, and if you do negative, it doesn't mean it's safe for you. So at that point, it depends on your reactivity. If you are very affected by mold, then you're going to need an army. Air trap is not going to be enough. Thank you for making that distinction. I was just going to say, I'm not sure if I agree with you, Gianni. If the, <laughs> the test yeah. comes out negative, there could still be a problem. So I do appreciate you being forthright with that because we do see, you know, depending on collection methods or just right. the, the standard limitations of testing in general um, could yield false uh, positive. So um, in in regards to the 26 uh, water damaged species, which ones would you say are the most dangerous? Um, well, the black mold, stacky butters, usually one of the top of the list. You know, there's a number. All of them are bad, but they're, I guess, the black mold is always looking to like a special case. Um, we have uh, ketonium also, globosum. Uh, all of this stuff are, you know, the one that you find uh, in uh, HERSME2 also very important. HERSME2, they're clinically important. For uh, you know, doctors that want to look into the impact of mold, people's health. So I, I would say that uh, some people like to do uh, follow up with the HERSME2 test because there are only five, they're less expensive, and they can do more testing that way. But yeah, the, the stacky bottles, the ketonium, and uh, are probably the top of the list. No, that's really fascinating because Dr. Shoemaker as a result of his gene transcriptomic testing, says that mycotoxins turned out to be less than 7% of the gene activations in SIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, and he's completely switched over to focusing on actinomycetes to the point that he even criticized me for my obsession with stachybotrys. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I know about... Uh... Dr. Shoemaker and his uh, switch into actinobacteria. Um, uh, I guess they did a clinical testing with Genie, and they found that uh, a lot of their what they're looking into the genetic testing is they're seeing the uh, impact of actinobacteria, like a forty percent impact on their test. But uh, I think mole is about ten percent, I think, and another ten percent for for he started out by saying 7%, and that number seems to keep getting smaller and smaller until he was literally, literally apologizing for naming his books Mold Warriors and Surviving Mold. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah, I say 10%, but yeah, 7% maybe is the new number. Okay. I, I actually, I asked him about it, how you calculate this and all that. So clinical correlation between the test and, and what they see in the clinic. 
And uh, I, I cannot speak for his change of mind. Um, mold are still a good indicator of what's going on in the house. And uh, clinical indicator, uh, I don't know. I think mycotoxins are always being very important, not only you know in the food industry and also in the in home safety. And WHO is very clear about that. So we know a lot about mold. Uh, tinobacteria is something new, and uh, even uh, well, what he's looking into is uh, looking at uh, a correlation between a, a test that is done in blood with the clinical symptoms. And his view is 40% or something and 7% for mole. I, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, we are not setting in this percentage here in this lab. We, we, this is tested somewhere else. It's a uh, genie is done by another lab in that, and they're working with Dr. Shoemaker. Yeah, he's, he's currently working on a dominance index of the uh, pathogenic actinomycin CD species that he considers to be the most important. And there again, it's similar to the um, tests done in the past where they take the prevalent species that they find where people are getting sick and try to extrapolate from that which are the worst ones and the ones most likely to be the offenders in this chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Right. Yeah. Well, I think this... Uh... The, the, I don't know, if you look at this from the, another perspective, mycotoxins are bad, and those are produced by, you know, mold. So water damage building and all that, it's a very clear picture right there. Uh, now, now, let me tell you, mycotoxins and mold, well, mold used to be produced, found that produce antibiotics, right? Antibiotics are never been bad, but some of them are bad, yeah? I mentioned this because actinobacteria also produce antibiotics, and some of the stuff they produce are bad. They're toxins. They're kind of they're they're, they're known as uh, ribotoxins. Ribotoxins are toxins that affect protein synthesis. Now, uh, I think the group of Shoemaker and Associate found that a lot of uh, ribotoxins are found in in the in the, I mean, the clinic, they, they find that there's a lot of inhibition of the ribosome. Um, there is also a lot of a problem with the mitochondria. Well, I can tell you the same thing happened with the mycotoxins. So I cannot tell, separate between the two, between toxin produced by tinobacteria or mold. I don't know how you can separate that, those two things. If you put together and say, hey, you have a bunch of toxins from mold, yeah, those are bad, and they inhibit the ribosome. Then you have a bunch of toxins from bacteria, actinobacteria. They also inhibit the ribosome. So which one it is? Maybe both. I don't know how you separate that. Yeah, and it's a curious thing that actinomycetes are known as are very uh, powerful producers of various compounds that are useful, like antibiotics, and they've been extensively studied since the early 1900s. Yep. So yeah. how, how could uh, a pathogenic quality have been completely overlooked for all this time? Well, it's not pathogenic. It's toxin, okay? Pathogenic is something that grows on you. And toxins is like a chemical that's produced by this, path, this bacteria. Sorry about that. Uh, so 
is overlooked. Well, if you look at the, you know, there's a number of compounds produced by actinobacteria. There's like thousands of compounds. A lot of those compounds inhibit the ribosomes. Some of them are very potent. And the same thing can be said by, by, by micro, mycotoxins. Mycotoxins also inhibit the ribosomes. So they have overlap. They overlap in several ways. Uh, I don't know how you separate the two. That's my, my view on it. Uh, I would say that, yeah, you can say, well, anti antibiotics are produced by actinobacteria. Yeah, sure. I agree. But you have mold that actually penicillin was the first antibiotic that we ever known. So <laughs> we know antibiotics, it can be a misleading kind of, you no know, guiding thing. This, this stuff, bacteria, I'm all produced toxins. Uh, and, they, and they do similar things. My only point is like, I don't, how do you separate which, which one it is? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they can't be separated. Dr. Shoemaker and Jimmy Ryan are claiming that these ribotoxins interfere with what they call the sarsen-ricin loop, which a fundamental process that exists in every living organism. Right. So if that's true, then the whole idea of a genetic component goes out the window. Because here we're talking about ribotoxins, which affect all living things. Uh, well, you still have a genetic component because, you know, this, this genetic thing, the HLAs, are important for presenting this stuff. And to all the cells have this in the surface. And they process this like uh, uh, this is uh, something that they don't recognize normally. And they, it's, a, it's a way to prime the cells or the, you know, that there's something going on and presenting this stuff. They, this, that's the HLA. And the ribosome and the sarsin loop is everywhere, but you know, you, the sarsin loop uh, is in bacteria, it's in everything. But the way this, you have to look at this, there is a chemical warfare, warfare between mold, bacteria, and we are in between. <laughs> This stuff are, are, are producing toxins to attack to each other, kill each other. And it happened that we are right there and we're not supposed to be there. And that our cells, they have this sarsin loop thing that, that we, bacteria producing this potent antibiotics that attack in that region. And there, that's, but there's some of these compounds are toxic to us, very toxic. Like rising, rising and sarsin. They used to very toxic stuff. And, uh, so, and they're found in mold. Aspergillus produce some, some of this sarsin, uh, which is a toxic stuff, but also bacteria. Actinobacteria produce hundreds, thousands of compounds, a lot of medical use, anti cancer, antibiotics, all that, but they also have a number of compounds. They are similar to mycotoxin, doing the similar thing. So I would say we cannot overlook uh, at the possibility that bacteria, uh, tenobacteria especially, are a source of toxins for us. And they're attacking in a similar way that mycotoxins are attacking us and affecting our, you know, ribosome and mitochondria, all that. I don't know how you separate one or the other. That's at the end of the day. That's what I'm thinking. Now, you can measure mycotoxin in dust samples. You'll find a bunch of them. 
but you can measure toxins from bacteria also. Right? And there are people doing this right now. They're developing method to follow actinobacteria toxins. Uh, it happened that it's, it's new and, uh, it, and it was not regulated like uh, mycotoxins are regulated right now. You know, it's a huge regulation everywhere for food, but also for for homes. Now we see a lot of people are testing for mycotoxin in their, their you know, in the urine or testing in their homes and all that. I think eventually, will something similar is going to happen with the toxin from bacteria. Yeah, it's notable that Joseph Forgax, who's literally the father of mold investigation in the United States, called for uh, further research into toxic mold back in 1960, and made the observation that he was seeing actinomycetes in conjunction with cases of autism. But he also reported a strong lacquer-like odor that was difficult to overlook. This, the, the lack of what? Lacquer. It smelled like lacquer, very powerfully, from actinomycetes. Okay. So they, 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 they found autism related relation with mycotoxins? Not with mycotoxins, with actinobacteria. With actinobacteria, okay, yeah, yeah. and in, in the sixties, yes, and he well, put out a paper that's in the bioaerosols manual asking you go. for research into this. Right there, you go, there you go. Uh, I think uh, there is a lot there. There is a huge amount of compounds from actinobacteria. Bacteria. Um, those compounds are doing something, and, and I know a number of compounds that are attacking the ribosomes, same like mycotoxins. So there is overlap, and my guess there, you know, it, when you have bacteria mold growing, bacteria is gonna grow pretty soon. You know, back water levels for bacteria growing is like 0.9 or something, <laughs> very high. But uh, many times when mold is growing, bacteria is gonna be there. And the bacteria is doing something. And actinobacteria seems to be a good, reasonable thing. Now, the details of how Dr. Shoemaker found oh, this relation between actinobacteria and, and, and their marker, they use the Gini marker. I don't know all the details. I know there's a good correlation. That's all I know from there. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Home Cleanse, formerly known as All American Restoration, is a company that specializes in improving indoor air quality through proper mold remediation, offering services nationwide. You can visit them at homecleanse.com to learn more. The Mold Guy performs mold sampling and testing for homeowners, renters, and businesses. Please visit themoldguyinc.com to learn more. Black Diamond Services provides solutions to the unforeseen challenges that can affect homes and families with no out-of-pocket costs. Services include temporary housing relocation and mold test referrals for homeowners. Visit blackdiamondservices.com to learn more. Great Plains Laboratory provides toxic exposure testing to those living in compromised environments. Tests include the Mycotox panel that tests for mycotoxins in urine samples and the Envirotox panels tests for environmental chemicals in the urine, and provides an overall metabolic snapshot of a patient's health. Visit gp-labs.com to learn more. Thank you again for your sponsorships. It is integral to our ability to serve our community and to improve the quality of life for all. The curious thing about ribotoxins 
is they affect the cells at such a fundamental level as a dysregulator of protein synthesis that they don't necessarily exhibit a cytotoxic effect that immunologists would be looking for. So they could go completely overlooked. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the protein synthesis of the ribosomes. And then that is, they have a direct impact in the mitochondrial uh, energy production. So uh, it's imp- it, there is uh, also a reaction right there that, you know, the, the immune response get activated. Somehow there is, uh, it's all connected. That is a uh, person is responding like, uh, hey, we are under attack. <laughs> Let's start fighting this stuff. And, you know, this ribosome uh, connection with the mycotoxins and the bacteria, you know, is, I think it's a fundamental connection that if you have, uh, you're only looking at mold, you're not looking at the whole picture. So I think bacteria is an important component of the toxicity in, in people's home. Actually, if you measure bacteria, you have millions of bacteria. So if you measure more, you have a couple of thousand or more, 10,000 more. And the toxicity or whatever, whatever their things are doing, they're doing you know, chemicals that are affecting our ribosomes. Or <laughs> and the level of, of, of amount they're producing they're similar. So you have millions, they're going to have more toxins with bacteria than mold. That's a, that's a good guess. You know, now, which one are the toxins? I don't know. Well, I was trying to introduce Dr. Schumacher's work to Stanford, particularly the Open Medicine Foundation, which is studying MECFS, myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome. And uh, I'm having a bit of difficulty here because they say, if any of this were true, you wouldn't be the only one here. So is there any possible way to get researchers to maybe um, assist in going to Stanford and trying to get their attention on this issue? Well, that, that's the thing. It's a job for Dr. Shoemaker <laughs> to go over there and then convince them. Uh, I think he has all the research. And, uh, we collaborate to that, but he will be the, the only one. And Jimmy Ryan, he worked with him that says, hey, this is what's going on here. Let's look into this. I don't know specific toxins. And now he has an index. And, uh, the index is looking at a number of uh, tenobacteria. Uh, where do you go from there? You know, and we also do something called actino skin, which is tested on the, on the skin and back of, uh, you know, in the back of the earlobe. Um, there is correlations with Parkinson, Alzheimer, all the stuff, they produce bad stuff and uh, it's been published. Propinobacteria acne, very common. You know, when we have 10 millions in your skin, then there's something going on. Now, everybody knows that it's very well published. Everybody that's looking into the literature. Uh, well, why the Stanford is not looking into that? Propinobacteria is a, a tinobacteria growing in your skin on the millions. Why and they producing Parkinson? Publishing, I don't know, 10, 20 different peer review journals. Why nobody's looking at that one? It's just one, but hey, you have it right there. Yeah, I remember British researchers found um, spinal degeneration that had Propriani bacterium acnes growing all over it. And this was thought to be a skin bacteria. So right. it was very unexpected to find it in the spine. Right, in the spine. 
Okay. Uh, well, this stuff goes into your skin and it's not just in the surface. It going deep into the skin and uh, then produce little vesicles. They're called exosomes. They're little fraction of bacteria, little bubbles of, of bacteria. They're nano-sized and they go into your blood. And that's where we measure this stuff. Actually, we do exosome in blood and we find a lot of bacteria there, propionobacteria. Where is coming from? Well, it's, we, it's assumed from exposure to the environment or somehow this individual is, is pro propense or propensity to grow this stuff in their skin. They, they don't have the, 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 the same immune defense as everybody. Either way, either way, there is a good correlation between propionobacteria and a number of uh, degenerative disease like Parkinson, for example. There are a number of publications and people are looking very close. And this is an example only of actinobacteria. Yeah, it's fascinating that um, one of the Open Medicine Foundation's leading researchers, Professor Maureen Hansen of Cornell, has been focusing on exosomes and is finding it in the blood, but so far unable to identify them. Oh, <laughs> uh, the, the, he, he was unable to find exosome in blood. Yes. Well, he can, you can send him to us. We could do it every day. <laughs> we Excellent. do it. Exosome in blood is very well. It's, it's, you know, you can go on Google search and you have a kit for exosome in blood. And everybody sell one kit for exosome in blood. Now, going to find bacteria there. I don't know. We find bacteria there. And we sequence this every day. Well, not every day, every week, because we do it once a week. Uh, well, that's so it. I'm going to now, Stanford and refer them to you. Right. Tell him to come over here. We, we see bacteria there. And now, uh, bacteria in blood, uh, we look at propionobacteria and we do only corinobacteria, only actinobacteria we're looking into blood. Um, and, and also depend on the levels. We're not just looking at one or two. We're looking at a big number of bacteria in Exosome DNA. We're looking not bacteria. We're looking DNA in exosomes. Yeah, yeah. I think the problem is they just don't have access to the um, methods which are actively correlating the the PCR testing with various species. So they know something is there, but as of yet, last I heard, they've still been unable to make a positive identification. Oh, uh, on blood you're talking about? That's right. Right. I, I, I think it, there is a little bit of uh, controversial topic and it's still uh, in, uh, in early. Say, some people agree, some people don't agree. There is some people in the UK that publishing all the time. Uh, some people say, well, that's a contamination. That's something that coming from some other place. Uh, there is a, I don't know, last time I checked, it was like 10, a study with 10,000 individuals in and they did blood, next-gen sequencing in blood, and they found bacteria, but there was no correlation between normal and not and normal. It was like there was no pattern of actinobacteria or anything like that. But yeah, there was bacteria in blood, DNA in blood, DNA. Now, the correlation between DNA in blood and disease, that's another step that, you know, I'm not jumping into that. I'm not proposing that. I'm saying this is coming from the, the Dr. Shoemaker. Well, it's certainly very interesting. It needs to be followed up on. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah, it is. I, I think that the thing what what I want to 
live like a clear that bacteria, clean the bacteria, they produce a number of toxins similar to the mycotoxins from mold. And I think they cannot be overlooked. Uh, only time will tell how important are those for human health. But my guess, there is, they are important. I'm just disappointed in Dr. Shoemaker's shift in focus because Stachybotrys was a very good bit of leverage to get researchers to listen to us. Right. Yeah, no, I agree 100% with that. It's, the thing is that we do mycotoxin testing here and we do LCMSMS, which is uh, it's a, the state of the art. You know, there's nothing better than that. It's not an ELISA test. This is a, it's a very expensive machine and it needs very expertise. The thing is that we don't find a lot of stachybotrys toxins. We don't, we don't see that. And uh, where are the toxins? That's the thing. Um, if, I, if I look at the toxins that we see, we, uh, we see a number of toxins, mycotoxins, but not a lot. Not okra toxins. We've done, I don't know, 700 tests in a year, and uh, I don't never see okra toxins there. Some people well, do. Some people do. I don't know what's the difference between us and what some people do. But it seems that if some of these toxins are on the nanoscale, they could conceivably penetrate the olfactory nerve, stimulate the microglia directly, and bypass having to go through the uh, immune system. Right. Yeah. 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 If you're growing this stuff, and or you go you go into the air and they go directly to your to your blood, then from there you go into different target organs. Uh, normally, you're not eliminated very well in the urine. Uh, at least that's what I've been told that. This, this stuff tends to accumulate in target organ. They're very lipophilic. Um, so, but people are doing a urine test and they're find, finding all this soccer toxin, all that stuff in, blood, in the urine. Now, they're doing it by ELISA, which is not a valid method. It's not FDA approved method. But yeah, it's a valid general, it's a good method. It's nothing wrong. And they're finding a lot of toxins in, in urine. And also in the dust, dust of their homes, ochratoxin positive. I've never seen ochratoxin positive. I don't know why is the difference. And I talked to the expert. Uh, I talked to people in, in the European countries that I know. And uh, they tell me, well, they don't know. They normally, <laughs> they don't see it in, in dust either over there. I don't know what, who is right, who is wrong. Um, but... Uh, I know companies in the U.S. doing very good techniques like LCMS, MS. Um, they're finding, I believe, they're finding ochratoxins or other stuff in, in, in their dust samples. I, I'm not finding that stuff. I don't know why. Could be a technical issue. Could be something. Now, why why we mention this? Because toxins are 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 are, are produced by toxins produced by molds are or is the big problem. But I don't find a lot of mycotoxins. That's a good thing to know. Where are the mycotoxins? We, I find, find, we find something, but ochratoxin, never. And gliotoxin, never. And we do like LCMSMS, which is like state of the art, doesn't get any better. I'm not really familiar with LCMS or, or what you're referring to. Can you just, can you just talk about that? Yeah, it's a, it's a mass, mass it's a mass spectrometry. Oh, okay. Uh, what it is, is not a ELISA. ELISA is an antibody. 
it's an antibody reaction that normally done by some labs. They do a urine test with antibody, LISA. But when you do MS-MS, which is liquid chromatography, mass spectrometry, which go uh, in tandem, tandem means twice. So what you are actually looking at is the actual molecule, the mass, the mass of the molecule, let's say it's 500, let's say 500 Dalton. You're actually looking at peak in the, in the chromatogram. You're looking at a mass of 500, for example. And next to it, you have a spike of uh, radiocarbon label ochre toxin, and you see the peak of the uh, ochre toxin next to it because it's carbon 14. And your ochre toxin is peak is next to your target, you know, target and control next to each other. You're actually looking at the actual molecule, the chemical molecule, and that's called mass spectrometry. And uh, these are very precise machines that are very expensive and need a lot of expertise and need a standard. The standard is a carbon label standard. It's not easy to get. And they're produced by European countries, most of the standards, actually. And uh, uh, maybe some of the standards are hard to get. And the people are using standards here in the U.S. that are not that validated that they're using different standards over European countries. But uh, let me tell you, there is a uh, June, there is a mycotoxin no, conference here in uh, Gordon. It's called a Gordon Conference. And have some European friends coming to talk about mycotoxins and pycotoxins. And they're presenting their data. And I, we're sharing some of the data with them on mycotoxins. So the data is there, hey, we don't see ochratoxin, we don't see gliotoxins on the sample in the U.S. in general. Is that a technical problem? I don't know what it is. Are you, yeah. are you referring to the DR talks with Dr. Eric Gordon? Yeah. No, the Gordon Conference, sorry. It's the Gordon Conference. Oh, okay, yeah. It's because... a very, very, like, a, they do, like, thousand different conferences there, <laughs> Gordon Conference. Yeah, I just saw the advertisement for that one, and this one is directed specifically in the title to chronic right. fatigue syndrome. Okay, well, it could be the same one. I just got an email from my colleagues, and they say they're going to be there in the conference. They want some data from me. They want. Yeah, to and I've, I've been actually trying to pressure Dr. Gordon and the speakers of this conference to reveal that toxic mold actually started chronic fatigue syndrome, which as of yet they have not done. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I agree. There is a lot of stuff there that is, is, is not very popular. Maybe that is, they don't want to release it like, uh, hey, we've, this is our chronic fatigue. There's then, I don't know how much money is spent on chronic fatigue and, and never find something to explain chronic fatigue when easy to explain with mycotoxin and mold. You know, that's right there in your face. Yeah, and, it's not only easy to explain, but it was documented in the original chronic syndrome cluster, and right. this has been known for 35 years. I know. Yeah, it's right there. It's, it's very, very familiar to you and me and a lot of people that are in the field of all and mycotoxins. And why the government is not paying attention to that, I don't know. So, well, I'm going to stick Alicia on them. She'll nail them good. Right. 
We always attend these conferences. And I, I don't know if you're present for the um, recent White House. Uh, it was like an indoor air quality summit that they had. And it was three hours of people talking about the indoor air quality. And of course, they posted around COVID. And it was just so interesting that, you know, it's like they can go three hours without mentioning mold. You know, <laughs> okay. Even though mold is a very right, yeah. problem for the indoor right, air quality. Yeah. And so you would think that yeah. you would at least make one mention of like, right. this is what we have to do. And these are what, this is what we can do. This is the testing right. and all that. But no, they, um, they were very elusive and they focused more on gas stoves being a major issue. Right. Gas stoves. So it was just kind of weird. I, I wanted to share that. It is. It's, it's be, I think it's because a lot of it, maybe the professional background is engineering or some other kind of background, and they want to keep it uh, on the same area. I mean, engineers, they're, are gonna, they're always going to go with, the, <laughs> with their preferred, you know, uh, area of interest, air samples and all that. Uh, I know some engineers that are, interested in mold and uh but i guess a doctor medical doctor is gonna find a problem that is normally he went to school for if you go to an architect he's gonna find a problem with the house <laughs> so everybody find their own problem because of that's what they know uh but mold is in the who is have a lot of warning about mold and recent warning the mole is a big problem. So, and we know that not just because WHO, we know that because it's a regulated, you know, mycotoxins are regulated. It's a big industry that's regulated because we get poison. Toxins or mycotoxins are re highly regulated and they're tested everywhere. So, all the food that we consume, but food is not the only source. We have, we are. Water damage is another big source. So we need to worry about water damage and the food. But food is something the government take care of. You take care about your home, your water damage. So, and the main culprit on the water damage are mold. And nobody can deny that. I think just you had to go against the international, like the, the, you know, the WHO and other organizations, if you want to deny that. So, I, I think that uh, we are in the right track, and obviously there might be other stuff there that we want to take care. You know, it could be actinobacteria. I don't know. There is something that we have to wait and see. Do you think our food source is a significant source of mycotoxin contamination? Only if you let it grow, and then just then you are in trouble. You know, people that are all age, they don't have a good eyesight or something. You can grow food and eat it. And if you like don't if have a, the food in your house goes moldy, no. you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying? Yeah, only if you're going moldy. Otherwise, if you buy fresh and you consume with a mold, you're fine. You should not worry about it. The government worry about it. They were, They test your food. They measure mycotoxin in the food. That's highly regulated. Uh, so food source is not a main problem. Only if you leave it there and they start growing fusarium and all the stuff, and they start flying like a mole fly everywhere. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden you get water damage and then start growing mole in your house. But more important, stachybotrys does hiding 
behind the walls, behind the, from the floor, or laminated floors and stuff. That you remove the laminated floor, you get a lot of mold growing there. Those are the kind of things that we need to worry about, not the food, really. Food is a thing the government needs to worry about that. You Hopefully. know, the main way we uncovered stachybotrys is in the early days before there was any testing, people simply led researchers, doctors, to the areas that were bothering them, took samples. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah, what yeah, showed yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show up areas. People are reactive to this stuff and they, they can tell this is the place and they look at it and they find it. And I actually I was listening to one of your uh, presentations right there, the Jeff Charlton, finding the stuff in the, in, outside the house. Uh, actually, I know Jeff very well, and uh, I'll talk to him about it next time. But yeah, and if you find it, it's a good, it's a source of concern, and you should remove it. But keep in mind, not always producing mycotoxins. Some of the stuff, if they don't feel, you know, mold are like animals. They're attacking to each other. If they feel they're happy in your house, they're not going to produce mycotoxins. But be better safe than sorry, so better get take care of it, get rid of it. And it's not the visible mold that you worry about. You you worry about the one that is detected by ermine or, or, or air, you know, the sport trap. That's the one you worry about. The visible mold you can go and paint over and get rid of it somehow. Yeah. Thank you for that distinction. I wanted to ask you. So you have this this testing method of mass spectrometry, or I don't know if I said it right. Yeah. I'm so yeah, bad you at pronouncing things. Did I say that right? Sure. Mass yeah. spectrometer. There you go. Yeah. And um, so you're you're finding you're able to see the mere molecules. So do you guys um, do any bulk sampling? Like if I were to send you a contaminated shirt, would you be able to run that through your test and analyze it? I don't know. I don't know because you know we do extraction from the dust, so we put uh, acetone into the dust and uh, acetone and water, and we get the mycotoxins out of it. I don't feel like putting the whole pans or I don't know towel inside or a big acetone tank and get an extraction. I guess you can put a piece of it, yeah. But yeah, you can test anything. I guess. Unless is acetone will destroy the actual fabric, I don't know. Normally, we'll stay away from. We do all kind of samples sometimes. You know, if, for example, for doing ermi, you have a piece of paper. You're gonna mess up the paper because it's a it's a water soap. It's a water soap and water basically you put into the into the swiffer, and then you do extraction of the spores. Let's say if you do it with paper or a filter on, 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 the, on the wall, a filter. If the, if the filter go into solution, then you end up with a lot of paper in the bottom, and that will be a problem. So acetone is a problem for maybe some textiles. It will get the color, it will inter maybe interfere. I would think stay away from testing actual fabrics and stuff. But people test food. so. <laughs> Food, all kind of food, cereals and all kind of food. So I'm not surprised that you can do test anything really after you're testing all kind of food. Well, if you're ever open to it, we'd love to <laughs> do some mad right. science experiments with you and send you pieces of contaminated clothing just to see if you can see right. the molecules in it or I'm you know, well, I'm just stuff we out test there. we test dust all the time. 
10 milligrams of dust that you collect from your home, and we find very few microtoxins. We find, you know, if you see 100 samples, we never see ochratoxin, we never see gliotoxins. I explained that other labs, they do see this. I don't know if the method is a difference, or, you know, whatever. But I wouldn't worry about actually your clothes or your fabric or whatever you're using. I will go into the dust right away. If it's not in the dust, it's not going to be in your clothes unless somebody's, I don't know, using moldy stuff and growing in your clothes. Yeah, why not? It's right there. You know, I will throw away that because it starts smelling or something. Better get rid think, of it. Do you think the mycotoxin found in the dust is a good reflection of what's inhaled in the air? Or, or do you well, think that's a good question. That's a good question. It's a good, very good question. It's not. It's not. In the air is where you go inside your nose and dust in the floor is in the floor. Right? Yeah. Well, sure. But in the dust, it's a good proxy to what's in the air because the dust will fly eventually. So you don't want to measure the air because it's very, the detection is very difficult. You're going to be negative like an air trap. You're going to tell, oh, my, my air is good, but the floor is very contaminated with mycotoxin or whatever you're testing for. It's a good no, proxy. I'm, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a way to test and tell you hey, there's something going on here. If you test the air and open the door and let the window fly the air, fresh air, your test is going to be negative 100% of the time. But your floor is going to be contaminated. So that's the difference. So you had to focus on whatever is more sensitive. And you had to focus. Obviously, you're not breathing the you know, stuff in the floor. But eventually, you open the door, the stuff is going to fly. And it's going to end up in your nose. So that's the point. Yeah. Or if you vacuum or whatever. Right. Yeah. That's the point. I think, and I think maybe proxy. I wasn't clear on my question. I'm, I'm trying to ask if you think that there is also mycotoxin in the air that could be higher qualities than what's in the dust, but it's not found because we're checking in the dust and we can't really. It's a different. The in the, in the air. Like the air is different kind of mycotoxins than the floor. Is that the question? Sorry, my baby's crying so loud. I don't want to unmute myself. Um, no, it's more of like a, like a, the question is more about the concentration presence of mycotoxin, maybe not being best detected by dust is what I'm trying to ask you. Like, is it possible that there's much more mycotoxin in the air that's being inhaled, uh -huh. but because we're only checking in the dust, we're not really finding what's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think the other way around, I think that is there is more in the dust that is in the air. I will find very difficult to believe there is more in the air. That's why we don't find ochratoxins or gliotoxins because we're looking in the wrong place. But well, uh, I don't know. People are, detecting this stuff in their mostly in their I don't know human samples maybe urine samples um, but uh, we don't see it in the dust we don't see it and that's what it is we see toxins yeah we see but we don't see ochratoxins or gliotoxins that's very very rare uh, we see other stuff now 
Are you going to find more in the air than in the settled dust? I found very difficult because settled dust it will is concentrated, it's concentrated in the sample, and it will accumulate whatever is in the air. If you let it settle, it will go down to the floor. So it's better to collect from the floor. For not not the floor, I'm talking about from the surface surface, not the floor where you're stepping on, but talking about surface. So uh, any sample is better, more enriched in this in dust that is settled dust. Yeah, air sample will always be more diluted, and it will mostly gonna be negative. In my view, we don't do air samples, but if we do air samples like uh, Airbnb air samples, we'll see very little in the air samples. And some people do that. And uh, we do with air trap. You know, they send us an air trap, we do ERMI on the air trap. That's fine. We do it, but it's very a fraction of what we see in the settled dust. The same same is true for microtoxin. That's my opinion. Yeah. Thank you for answering that. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Gianni. It was wonderful to have you on today. This conversation was awesome and I do appreciate your time. Now, if anyone wanted to go ahead and purchase an ERMI or any other tests from your company, where can they find you? Viralbiomics.com. That's the best way to find us. Actually, I don't even know the phone number here, but uh, we get called. I mean, we get everybody find us in the website. That's the easy way. And uh, you can Use your cell phone or your computer, anything, tablet, envirobiomics.com, the place to go. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Okay. Thank you. 